Welcome to Wild Quincy, a podcast that looks into the little-known and forgotten past of Quincy, Illinois. According to scientists, there are four ways a levee can fail, which includes overtopping, scouring, seepage, or foundation sliding. But during the flood of 93, there was another way a levee could fail, and that was by sabotage. In this episode, we talk about James Scott, the only person ever convicted of causing a catastrophe with special guest Rodney Hart. That coming up next. Now, here's your host, Chris Ketters and Travis Hoffman. Back here for another edition of Crime coming up next uh, in just a few minutes. But Travis, we just got off of our biggest episode ever and not so much by downloads, but by how many minutes it was an hour and nearly 40 minutes long. You know, we put 10 pounds in a five pound bag, but it's not of icky stuff. It's of candy. (laughs) So it's, it's just yummy. Yeah, no, it was a big one, but it had to be to get to everything we needed to get to. I think, like we said, a big flood, big episode because there was a lot of props to to you again. That was a, that was a great episode. That was a, well, thank you. A lot of information really brought that together. Interesting produced. Well, uh, let me great, great work, man. You did it. Thank you. Thanks. Well, let me throw props out to all those that helped out too. Again, thanks to Jim Angel, who was the state climatologist for the state of Illinois for over uh, 22 years, and also yeah. to Rich Kane as well for uh, for throwing that in there and giving him uh, giving us his memories. And then also uh, a special thanks to Corey McClossey, who's a voice we haven't heard forever. And by the way, if you haven't checked it out, go on our Facebook page, go on YouTube, uh, and uh, check out the video that he did for us, and you can see Corey and uh, give a little uh, love to the Jim city and, and give us his memories of the flood of 93 from phoenix arizona so great to great to hear from him and we really appreciate everybody for uh supporting and, and getting into that and going down a memory that's man it's just a lot to lot to take in a lot to remember from 30 years ago as we come up on the anniversary of the flood of 93 but you know it's uh not only has been a great episode but we got another episode on the flood coming up we'll get to that in just a few minutes but uh, uh you know we have uh been very fortunate we have an amazing fan base and uh listener base and uh we now have uh, also had a donation you want to throw that out there travis tell us about that yeah, Chris, uh, we had a couple heard from a few of you that you you like the idea of supporting Wild Quincy, and we're, we're all about that because we really appreciate everyone's support in any way. Um, but maybe maybe you're someone who doesn't want to do the whole Patreon thing. Maybe you're just like, you know what, I want to drop some, uh, you know, a couple bucks in the tip jar here, make it clean, simple. I get that. So because of that, we, we have a, pay, a PayPal donation link on the menu of our website at Donate. And if you have the desire to support what we do, we would thank you. Uh, much like the first person that put some uh, digital love there in the tip jar, we appreciate John Entrip for your donation. So yeah, thank you. That, that was great. But uh, for those who are looking for a little more in their their support of Wild Quincy, we'll, we'll give we'll give you some cool stuff like bonus episodes on the Patreon. Side. Fifty bonus episodes on Patreon now. That's 50. a bunch. That's a certified bunch. If, <laughs> if the Banana Man had to come and tally those bananas, he'd be there ten minutes. It's, it's a lot of fun. No, absolutely. But we have a few new supporters on that side. The first one is Roy Heen Camper, who joined us at the $5 Medium Jeff special level. And then what's exciting is we have a new member at the $20 Hostess Will Seat You Now level, Chris. That is our, our kind of premium account, if you will, uh, for the businesses where we, we like to give a little love back. And that's uh, we want to thank cookingwithcarly.com. 
Uh, cookingwithcarly.com. That's cooking with C A R L E E.com. Carly. She joined us, like I said, and we, uh, you know, it's kind of exciting. I've, I've known Carly since high school, Chris. I did take a quick peek at their at her website, uh, but tell me exactly what it is. Is it recipes? Or what, what do we got going on? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's there's a lot there's a lot going on with cookingwithcarly.com. It started with kind of a family project to get family recipes distributed among a larger family. And it just kind of grown, and now she's just has a huge site full of recipes that are kind of family friendly. Because I know if, if you're like my family, five o'clock c- comes and it's like, oh my god, what's going to be on the table for dinner? <laughs> but right. uh, there's all kinds of you know amazing recipes that kind of keep that mentality in mind and make it easy. And desserts, Chris. Oh my god, there's <laughs> the dessert. I mean, there's such great photography too on the site. We're talking here's just a, a sampling: black mocha cheesecake. Um, Homemade Oreo cookies, Mississippi Ooh. mud brownies. I mean, I'm, I'm getting a little hungry just talking about it right now. So. Yeah, that that diet might not be looking as good as it was just a couple hours ago. No, but you you c- come for that. the recipes, stay for the dessert. Go to cookingwithcarly.com. Uh, Carly, like I said, we went to high school together. Cool. And, you know, she, she's starting this up. It's a local venture with a, a probably global audience. She's grown so much. And uh, give a little love to that. That's cooking with Carly, C-A-R-L-E-E dot com. Be able to check out more information about if you want to join in with everybody else on the Patreon side. We'll have a promotion coming up, a uh, promo ad coming up in just a few minutes. Make it sound a little more legit. Besides that, Travis, I, I want to throw out there, too, because I saw you posted something today. We have our merch store. We haven't talked about the merch store forever. <laughs> it's been a little quiet, honestly, with everything going on. But yeah, a few things kind of kind of percolated up recently. One's a, you know, it's barbecue season. I've got the grill out a couple times and getting getting the the griller's wrist back in shape, so to speak. And we decided, how about a wild Quincy apron? So we threw we threw one of those out there. We'll see what happens. Uh, a fun little little shirt I came up with not too long ago came up. I just posted it today. You might even not you might not even know this, Chris. It was so recent, but. It took me back to the days of summer, driving down Broadway, you know, doing the Walmart West Quincy uh, gas station loop. And what were you doing on those nights? You were cruising Broadway and doing the padiddle whenever you saw a car coming towards you without a headlight on. <laughs> so there's a new shirt, just a simple text design, padiddle and Broadway cruiser tee. And it's uh, got a fun, just some cool, like kind of retro text and a car with a padiddle. So nice. good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah, I, I, I did uh, kind of see that. And so that's why I wanted to bring it up. And also, the, by the way, the, the apron is very cool because it's got the silhouette of our uh, wild quotes. Yeah, the design worked well for the, yeah. the form factor there. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. It's very cool. So uh, yeah, check those out. Uh, you can go to our website, uh, wildquincy.com and uh, take a look at those. And uh, check out and see if you see something you like. I still want to get something with folklore of Adams County. I know. I got some thoughts. And and I want to give props to uh, Mason, who had a fun design he submitted. uh, It was a a very funny reference to, I think... I forget what episode, Chris. We said something to the effect of "We're Wild Quincy and we can read." And it was just kind of a, it was, it was an interesting idea. I'm like, well, that's true. It's it maybe a little too close to the truth, to be honest with you. Uh, but we want to thank you, Mason. I'm not sure what, where we're going to land quite yet, but we appreciate you thinking of us. It's a great inside joke. I want to be a part of one someday. It, it, uh, took, it took honestly, I didn't remember it at first, and I'm like, yeah. man, that's kind of a weird burn. <laughs> like. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's it's tough to say, you know, if your burn's going to be weak and read. I mean, yeah. that insinuates that you can't read, and you, the person's never going to get the full effect of the joke. If yeah, so yeah. So, yeah. So it's still pretty good. Yeah, I got to love that. So uh, thanks to Mason for that, and thanks to everybody for uh, helping us out and supporting us in uh, this wild and crazy adventure we call Wild Quincy. Uh, speaking of wild and crazy, Travis, time to uh, bring up the one of the fan favorites, and that is uh, the question of the day. Are you ready for this oh, one? Man, I, I yeah, I almost forgot all about it. Let's do this. All right. Well, the question is this. We know street names in Quincy could be, you know, numbers or presidents or even trees. But which one of these roads does not exist in Quincy? Oh, boy. Okay. All right. We'll give you some, give you some options here. Uh, in their alphabetical order, by the way, is it Evergreen Terrace, Green Acres Drive, Ketters Lane, or Penny Lane? Those are your options. Mm. Let me give you the question one more time. Quincy, uh, of course, has uh, presidents and numbers and trees for st- street names. But which one of these is not a street in Quincy? Is it Evergreen Terrace, Green Acres Drive, Ketters Lane, or Penny Lane? We'll have the answer for that coming up at the end of the episode. You got your thinking cap on, I, Travis? I think I might have this one, but I, I've been wrong before. We'll have to wait and see what happens. Okay, so we'll have that answer coming up, like I said, at the end of the episode. But as we mentioned, kind of a double-decker episode. We went from a uh, time or place episode, talking about the Flood of 93, to now talking about the crime aspect of Flood of 93. We're going to be talking about James Scott. We'll be doing that next, right here on Wild Quincy. <laughs> Here's what you missed on the latest After Hours episode of Wild Quincy. I'm kind of jealous. Like I said, I, I don't have any toys left from when I was a kid, and I, I really wish I well, still had Well, let them. me know. We can go to my mom's house, and we, <laughs> we can go play. have a play date? Go, go play with some toys. <laughs> <laughs> That's not weird. That's not weird It's not weird, no. Uh, should we take a kid with us so at least it doesn't look too bad? <laughs> no, dude, they'll hog the cool toys. <laughs> <laughs> Screw that. Yeah, it's ours, man. It's ours. Right. Our After Hours episodes are available exclusively for Patreon members by going to patreon.com slash wildquincy. For just a couple dollars a month, not only will you double the amount of Wild Quincy episodes at your fingertips, but you'll also be supporting our efforts as we continue to dive into the wild and crazy history of our favorite town. Also, as a Patreon member, you can take part in our live events and Patreon-only outings, as well as having access to our regular episodes two days before they are released to the public. It's easy. Just head to patreon.com slash wildquincy. That's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash wildquincy and become a wild thing today. on Wild Quincy, joined by a returning guest, not only returning guest, but uh, two-timer guest, two-time one-season guest, Rodney Hart. Hey, Rodney, how you doing, man? Well, t- I'm glad I was sitting down when you said that. Jeez. <laughs> Twice one season. I know. You're, getting so- you're racking up the Wild Quincy frequent flyer points, let me tell you. <laughs> yeah. You'll be able to afford a soda soon. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, obviously, uh, last week's episode was a huge, supersized episode. We talked about none other than the Flood of 93. And uh, if you listen to the episode, obviously, we, we covered a lot of bases. We went through all the different uh, levees that broke and talked about all the different experiences that were had by by different people in the community. But we kind of, kind of, I don't know if we want to say kind of... Uh, 
feathered over the top of one of those conversations. Is that the right word, I've Travis? I've never heard it used <laughs> that way, but I like it. It's very delicate. Yeah. Delicately yeah. danced like the feather there in the wind. Go. Yeah, yeah, but we, we, we didn't quite discuss one of the big issues, and that's because we had to bring it up in the crime episode because uh, it, it deserves its own episode in all reality. And, and that has to do with what happened on July 16th of 1993, because as you know, and as you've seen the video, you've seen the pictures, that's when the West Quincy levee broke, and that's when uh, everything kind of fell apart uh, for what was happening with the rivers and happening more importantly with was this necessarily just a natural disaster like all the other places or was somebody involved with that? And that's when the faces and the, the, the everybody turned towards a guy by the name of James Scott. And it was easy to turn towards him, Travis, because he put himself on TV. <laughs> he talk about, yeah, Rodney, tee this up, man. You, you, you're quite familiar with this situation. Yes. So not, I don't know, half hour after it breaks, uh, Michelle McCormick, who's a reporter for WGM, is standing uh, on the other side of the Memorial Bridge. No, the Bayview Bridge. Sorry. And, yep, there is standing James Scott. He's just standing there. And as soon as people saw that, as soon as people in Quincy, and you know there were a gazillion people watching because this was a huge event. As soon as they saw that, I'm going to estimate 90% of the people watching went, James Scott is on the levee and it broke. And, you know, among the people watching were prominent law enforcement officers, uh, both for the Quincy Police Department and the Adams County Sheriff's Department. And as soon as they saw him, what is he doing there? Why is he standing there just right after the levees? No, no, there's something really <laughs> about this. So he... That cooked him right there. You could argue, guys, you could argue that if he had just simply walked away and not appeared on camera that night in an interview with Michelle McCormick, he would have never been charged. You could Hmm. you could make that argument. Why has his reputation preceded him? Why is he so synonymous? Why is he such an infamous character at this point? Because infamous is putting it mildly. He was uh, he was in trouble from day one living in Quincy, Illinois. Him and his two brothers. Are you guys familiar with the Webster School fire? Yeah, only a little be- bit. Only because of the re- research I've done, but lightness right. a little bit. Yeah. Okay, so Jim James Scott and his two brothers one was older and one was younger, I think. Correct. Uh, burned it down. That was a big, big old building at the corner of 12th and Main, and they were in there fooling around, and they burned it down. And if you read James, or if you read Adam Pitluck, did a book about this back in 2008. His his book uh, is called Damn to Eternity, and it's very well done. It's not entirely, they're not 100% accurate, but the Scott boys, as most books are not, but well, okay, well, as you but, are. <laughs> I, I, I don't want the book was really well done. It was really well. Done. One of the things about it, though, is that the Scott boys lived like a block away from where that fire took place, uh, not in another part of town as was depicted in the book. So I believe they actually wa- the family yeah. watched it burn later that night yes. from their, yeah, their well, doorstep. They were a block away. Well, at, most of Quincy watched it burn. That was a huge event in Quincy. Back right. in the early 80s, massive event. Many people who yeah, are, that was you know, 
April 24th, 1982. Yeah, I think 7.30 right. is when the, the first report. And right. it took him to like 10.30 at night to get that thing even right. mildly under control. With That's, Four or five uh, fire departments had to right. assist. Yeah. So those were the three. three The three brothers were the ones who burned it down. Then uh, both James and his younger brother got into trouble with the law. And frequently. And, and had some issues with setting fires and burglaries and some other things. And in fact, James Scott, the guy ultimately convicted of causing a catastrophe, uh, was brought over from Illinois where he was serving an Illinois Department of Corrections prison sentence for burglary in 1996. So he was well known around town as being sort of a notorious bad guy, right? And, and he, and so, and he was, I, you know, I, this back then, even he'll, he'll admit to you, if you talk to him that he was, you know, he was a partier and he was an alcoholic and all he wanted to do was drink with his buddies and have a good time. And he, and he was, you know, he was a bad guy. You know who, who bad guys are around here, right? right? You hear that the same names, you, Quincy police department, 99% of the, time they respond to something is for the same one percent of the people right can i jump in real quick rodney uh i think i think you you said 1996 earlier i think it was 1987 when he was convicted uh and sentenced to 18 but only served three and no no no, that's something else okay well, yeah. while we're down the roof, as he he it was another he set fire in an apartment building. Allegedly, mm-hmm. it was from a female resident who whose mm-hmm. advances re, she rebuffed him. Basically, mm-hmm. didn't want anything to do with it. I think he even right. broke into the apartment and. Uh, well, there there was a whole string of fires on Twelfth Street that he was that he set. That yes, but there was also some burglary stuff, and there were some other things later on. Okay, thank you. Uh, after, after that time. So, yes, you, you are correct about that. But he was actually in the Illinois Department of Corrections when he started serving his Missouri sentence. So he, he yeah, so he was, he was, you know, he was in trouble. He was, he was just a bad guy. And he was known as, boy, I guess we, the colloquial term for this is dirtball. <laughs> can we say that on the show well we sure can, we yeah that's say. an easy one but that's what he was kind of known as and and so i mean the second they see him there on the levee ding 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 right it goes off so from the start that's where the investigation focused on and the missouri this happened in marion county obviously uh, the Missouri folks were like, yeah, you guys take the lead, you know? So, so it was the two Baker boys from the Quincy police department. The, uh, they, they spearheaded with, with some, uh, um, <laughs> assistance from the Adams County Sheriff's department, but ultimately, um, it was Bruce Baker and his brother that were the ones that led the charge and that, uh, interviewed him. And, and, and what they said was got him to confess to breaking the left. He went, he went on trial twice. Did you know that for this? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I heard about that. Yeah. yeah. The first time uh, he was found guilty and, and uh, sentenced, but then his, his, uh, it was overturned because the prosecution didn't reveal some witnesses that they were planning to call or something. It was some technicality. Yeah, it was, they didn't, yeah, they didn't properly introduce the, the one of the witnesses in, right, to the defense, right. I think. Yeah. So then they had to do it again, and I think they did it. The second one was in Hannibal, wasn't it? 
it was in Hannibal, but they sourced the jury pool from other counties to right. to kind of like, get away from a bias that might have existed. Yeah. Boone County or something like that. And again, right. he was found guilty. And he was sentenced to 30 years in prison. And he's still serving that sentence, by the way. And I think because it didn't start until 1996 or something like that, he's, he's not eligible for release until 2000. 26. He was also included with the he had charges still stemming from the burglary right, that he was still also working off too. Is that correct? Well, he, the, the, he had charges in Illinois that he was ultimately uh, either pled to or was convicted of. And like I told you, I believe he was in the Illinois Department of Corrections when he started to serve. His yeah. Sentence. So okay. he was, you know, he was and by his own admittance. Um, he was, you know, he was. All he wanted to do was party and cause and cause havoc. That's that's what he that's what he did. And so I got involved with the story in two thousand and eight. Do you remember what happened in two thousand and eight? We had another flood. Another flood, right? Yeah. It, it was. It was. It was very similar to the ninety three flood, as far as rivers rivers cresting. Uh, not quite as much heavy rain like during the summer months, but. Uh, so that, that was 15 years later. So someone got the bright idea of, of, uh, of maybe seeing if we could talk to, to James Scott, who had previously never talked to anybody from, from Quincy media before that. And Adam Pitluck, who had just written this book, uh, he was being kind of dismissed by the other media in town, but I showed some interest in it. And I said, yeah, man, I, I, you know, I read your book. I think it, you know, you make some good points here and it's, it's a fascinating account of the, of the whole story. So did, goes, well, did Adam reach out to you guys to try and set up to coordinate the interview? Yes. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. He, he, he hooked, he hooked me up with James Scott to do the interview. Adam Pitlock did it. Okay. Okay. Now Adam is the same guy who was just involved in this vice network thing. Yeah. Right. Right. Same guy. So, and I, I maintained, you know, pretty good, you know, I, obviously it's been 15 years, but I, uh, you know, I, I, I got along pretty well with with Adam when when nobody else in Quincy, none of the other media, and I won't bore you um, in the podcast with this, but I'll t- maybe off off uh, <laughs> maybe I'll tell you what happened, and, and it happened a couple of times where other members of the media dismissed him. They yeah. said, "No, James Scott broke the levy. You're no blah blah blah." They wouldn't even listen to him. So I actually listened to him, and I and I wrote a story about the book, and then he he got me he got he he talked to James. Because he was pretty tight with James, and he and he got me in. So Steve Bonsett and I went over to good good grief Jefferson City, right? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's where it was. Yeah, and Missouri we, Penitentiary we, there. Yeah, yeah, and, and for a couple of hours sat and talked with him. This is 15 years later. Very engaging, very engaging guy. Very polite, very well spoken. Um, had his story, stuck to it. Um, did not try to paint himself in a in a light other than what it, what was happening at the time in 1993. And um, I find, I, I found him, he was an excellent interview. He really was. And, you know, I, we got back and we published the story uh, the same day. It was in early June of 2008. That's when the river started going bonkers. And we had yeah. another film, yeah. uh, of similar proportion to 1993. So that's kind of, kind of how I got involved. 
Well, let me let's step back because there's a couple a couple of things here I want to hit up. Uh, first of all, and I think uh, we're curious about this interview. And you know, he he's uh, well. First of all, before I even get to that, you mentioned the Vice Network. There was a, a recently a uh, like kind of like a 22 minute kind of made for TV kind of documentary about Adam or about well Adam did it, but it was mm-hmm. about James Scott. Yeah. Uh, and so you can catch that. It's on YouTube. Uh, we'll probably have a link for yeah. it probably in, in our in our feed. But you know, when you had a chance to interview him. Rodney, uh, give us what his, if you remember, what what was his uh, outlook? What did he do that night when he was on the levee? Do yeah, you remember? He said he was just volunteering, and he said he was just there with some other people, and he said, you know, he noticed that there was the spot on the levee that was that had some bubbling or something, and he moved some sandbags to uh, to try to try to stop the stop the you know the leaking. Mm-hmm. That's what his story was. And I'd have to, now I'm paraphrasing. I'd have yeah, to really sure. look and read that story. And I haven't, and I apologize. I probably should have got back and read that story That's okay. from 2008. But, you know, he had a very specific defense. And he did back then, too. Right? He did back then. He, you know, his defense was, boy, yeah, I was on the levee. Yeah, yeah. I was volunteering. He wanted to, he was volunteering down there, like so many people did in 1993 and 2008, because he knew that he had a bad reputation in town and he wanted people to know that he cared. He wanted Mm. to be accepted. Mm. He wanted to make people think, Hey, you know, maybe this James Scott isn't such a bad guy. So is that, is that why he goes on TV then? It was because he, that's, you know, that gives him the opportunity in 93 to show that he's the guy that was trying to help. He he claims that Michelle McCormack just saw him coming. He was one of the only people there at the time, right there at that point of the levee. And she just grabbed him first to kind of talk to him off camera and then grabbed him again for the 10 p.m. broadcast. Well, I'm going to stop right there because I'm going to pepper some stuff in. But if I just committed a crime, do I want to be on TV? Well, I think you're getting into <laughs> the psyche of an arsonist and someone yeah, who, who gets that's a true. Out that's of, a good point. Yeah, I mean, Rodney, yeah. what, I want to get your opinions. You're the one who sat across the table from the guy, right? Well, you're right. He he was an arsonist and he was a burglar, and I don't. Okay, so he was convicted twice of this, right? Mm-hmm. There, there are boy. If you ask anybody in Quincy from around who was around back at that time, everybody thinks he did it. But if you take a look at it from outside of Quincy. Like this Vice Network thing, there's a lot of people who think, man, this guy got railroaded, right? Mm-hmm. I, so I, I don't, I think there are only two people who know whether or not James Scott intentionally broke the levy. And people is not the right use to word, right, right word to use. The, the, the one person who knows is James Scott. Okay, he claims he didn't. The other, the other entity is God Himself. <laughs> okay, and it's. There's so many people who think, yeah, you know, he, and then and then there was also, you know, he made some claims at a party uh, a, a couple days before that. He said, yeah, wouldn't it be great, you know, if we could just drink beer all summer long and my wife works at the 18 wheeler. And if the levee broke, then she gets stranded over on the Missouri side and I wouldn't have to have her around. Then we just party all night. He said something to that effect. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There was a guy named Joe Flax who, who testified about that. Yeah, who was actually old. incarcerated at the time of him testifying. He was a 16-year-old yeah. who at, yeah. at, uh, at James Scott's brother-in-law's house. That was kind of the party spot. And right. 
I think they'd get pretty pretty lit drinking, and then neighborhood kids, like 15, 14-year-olds would come over. They'd all just shoot, shoot hoops in the driveway, and right. a majority of people who testified against uh, of Scott in the first trial were of those teenagers. Um, right. There was at least three, not including Joe Flax. Right. Uh, but I think the big, the big zinger that I don't hear a lot about on the Vice Networks or any of the kind of podcasts that really feel like he got railroaded is his own brother-in-law – testified against Scott that he had mm-hmm. heard Scott talking about plans to break the levy yep. when he saw the coverage that night he asked Scott later was that you and Scott didn't want to talk about it right. which that part seems to mysteriously be left out quite a bit when it's other sources talk about this outside of Quincy I've noticed well they also tried to find Joe Flax in this vice network you know that right. whole thing they were yeah. sitting in front of the bars and trying to find little, oh, little dramatic oh. little dramatic little Joe <laughs> Flax who who was an uh, speaking of a guy who was in trouble back in the day? I don't know where he's at now, but boy, oh boy, you know he had nothing to do with nothing, and and so they were trying to find him so that this guy could queer James Scott. He won a bunch of that 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 <laughs> that was ridiculous, but I think you're right. It, it and then so so here's James Scott, you know this notorious bad guy, this this not a bad this this, this notorious person. He's on the levy and. and Unbelievably, nobody else is around, and it's just broken. And and he knows who Michelle McCormack is. Okay, he knows who this gal. Is. He sees the TV camera there. He sees the cameraman, and the lights are on. And and when this this pretty anchor person comes up, and I apologize, I don't mean to say that demeaning wise, but you know this, it's actually described in the book. Um, you know this this this. Uh, she was very. You know she was like grabbing him by the shoulder and saying, it's okay. It's okay. You know, yeah, the video, you can see that in the video. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so, you know, she, and then, and then afterwards, you know, he was the toast of, of his party crowd. Whoa, you got interviewed by Michelle McCormick, man. Whoa. (laughs) Hey dude. So that's what it was. That's what it was like. So, you know, he's walking along the levee, whether he did it or not. And he sees this, this uh, person from WGM, I don't, I don't even think whether he did it or not. Of course he, you know, agreed to do it and, and, and got grabbed in there. He could have, but you're, you know, all he had to do was walk away. Right. If, if he had just walked away, nobody would have known he was on the levee. Nobody would have had suspected anything. And I don't think they would have, they would have nabbed him. You could make I that. Mean, you could really look at it from two different angles. You could look at it from, like Travis said, in, in a person that, you know, a murderer is the same way, you know, a serial killer. Usually they're going to come back to the scene of the crime or something like that. You could look at it from that aspect as like, yeah, he's he wanted the limelight because he was in that type of mode and he, you know, he was an arsonist, all this stuff. Or you could look at it like this guy is the guy that, um, you know, he I'm trying to make, you know, turn a leaf over and I'm trying to, to do good right. and I'm volunteering and he's just completely dumbstruck that this is even a thing that you know that these that that's possible that the levy was broke by somebody and he's just on there thinking he's doing a good deed you know if i can jump in real fast i think it's worth revisiting the webster fire for a minute because i think there's certain elements of this from a a publicity standpoint and kind of a a celebrity standpoint that's worth addressing uh we talked about james and his brothers they 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 climbed the fire escape, kicked in a window of the Webster Elementary School. This was a year after it was actually closed from actual use as an elementary school. The Head Start program was using it in town, so there was some use, but I believe it was just the first and second floor. At any rate, these three kids wandered through their old school, ended up in the auditorium. I think the oldest two were smoking cigarettes. 
the youngest wanted a cigarette as well. They wouldn't give it to him, but it let, instead they let him hold the lighter. So I don't know if that was I a mean, good move. <laughs> well, James allegedly dared his younger brother to light a curtain in the auditorium on fire, mm-hmm. which he proceeded to do. And I think all three boys were a little shocked on how fast that thing actually you know, went up. There was allegedly some attempts to stomp it out. It was quickly out of control. Uh, long story short, the kids ran out biked home, and made the oath to never talk about it. But what really keyed the cops off of their activity was several days later, Scott allegedly was bragging to his friends, and he would have been about 12 years old at this point. And it was the tips from his friends who actually went to the police, and the, yep. the police and fire commission worked together to actually identify the three the three confessed. So there's almost a, if you if you take that as gospel, which is hard to do on anything, but you see a little bit of an element there um, of wanting that, that that publicity, wanting that celebrity status to that big event. Right. Right. Yeah. It, it, you know, if you're that age uh, and you've been involved in this and you and you've done it and you say to your brothers, oh, don't say anything to anybody. Come on. <laughs> obviously, yeah. they're they're going to they're obviously going to talk. And they did. And that's how they, they got caught. And by the way, the the Webster School Fire is is um, vividly described in Adam Pitlick's book "Damn to Eternity." And it, and the whole the whole thing is is like it's obviously done from James Scott's memory. Yeah. But it's really well done. Real, and that's and you just described it. Um, and and it, how how the fire started and what they were doing and and this. You know, it, yeah. The results after this was uh, James was sent. I think the, the eldest was put under probation with his parents. The youngest was actually sent to live at a foster home for a while. And James was sent to finish the rest of his school year at a correctional facility for, for minors, basically. Yeah, and juvenile something. Or, yeah. And so. during during that process, he I believe that was his first mental evaluation where he was diagnosed as, uh, I believe it was slight depression, like minor depression and ADD. So if, if you look at this from a mental illness perspective, I think it's interesting to kind of keep a tally on what the, the court, the, you know, what it's ascertained by the court in, in different facilities of, of where he's at mental status wise at this point. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, okay. And <laughs> that's, that's yeah. either here, here nor there because, well, you know. That was also in the nineteen the nineteen eighties, and a lot has changed in, yes. in that field. So yeah. take everything with a grain of salt there. Um, right. But I, I guess I guess what I'm getting at here is the bigger the bigger part of this Webster school fire, in my mind, and, and I want to get your guys' opinions. This was what the second or third school ever in Quincy. It was it was the second building of Webster School. However, mm-hmm. the majority of Quincy was between Webster School and Franklin School at one point. So the majority of Quincy has memories of Webster School. When it was being demolished, people would come down and take bricks because it had such a sentimental value. So already you have this seed planted of this this guy, James Scott, who had an active role in this disaster that had a sentimental value. And you turn around 19, you know, in 1993 and he's back in the headlines. Boy, you're already pretty vilified out of the box. Exactly. Vilified is a great word to use. Oh, that's the kid who, with his two brothers, burned hmm. down Webster School. That is exactly right, Travis. That was a huge event. There, the, the crowd, um, 
was estimated at more than 10,000 people at the corner of 12th and Main that night <laughs> when it burned. Wow. Because it was a huge fire, and it's right, you know, right in the epicenter of, of town there, and it started to go up, and this is before, you know, internet or whatever, but it didn't take long for word to get around, and it was a huge event. Most of Quincy, you could argue that most of Quincy was actually there when they found out about it. You know, yeah. they walked out. They come check it out. The junior high building was in serious threat for a while. Of, yeah, it was of going up as there well. Was a, yeah, there was a there was a guy I knew named Hugh Espy, Doctor Hugh Espy, who climbed up into the roof of the First Union Congregational Church and took some pictures, just incredible photographs of the building wow. fire. That that he, I remember he him showing me. And and here's the other thing about that. I know we're talking about James Scott, but that was also uh, the firefighters were inside the building attempting to figure it out and attempting where to attack it and attempting to put it out. And, and the police department was outside of the building shooting out windows. Right. <laughs> I had that in my <laughs> notes. We're still in the building. Oh my. Oh my God. I didn't realize they were in the building when that was happening. Oh so Lord. Do you think that little uh, way of, of uh, approaching fighting a fire got changed after that incident? Oh, <laughs> yes, it did. Yes. Uh, real quick, I, I do want to point this out. I, I, if you mentioned it already, I'm, I apologize, but I, I wanted to make sure it, it was abandoned. It was an abandoned school at this point in time, right? It, w- it wasn't like, serving as a school tr- in the traditional sense, but the building was still being utilized as a heads for the Head Start program. So you're talking okay. about, you know, f- I think it was between 400 and 500 four and five year olds, um, kind of pre-K, I believe, was the uh, the arrangement that were utilizing either the first and second floor. So it wasn't completely abandoned. It was still getting some use, but just not. But it wasn't. It's an original. And it had only been yeah. about a year. I mean, the Scott boys, that was their school that they had just right. you know, been to so it was still their former school yeah right okay uh, and then also you mentioned it, that the junior high was in in threat of this just to give everybody a, a, a idea where where exactly was the building at that was webster building the building was was right at the southeast corner of 12th and main just set off a little bit from that corner. right next to where junior high the vacant lot basically oh. that's it's oh just, yeah. okay it's just okay. a big field now yeah right yeah the big field okay. now. but it wasn't that far away from the junior high no, not at all. So, so obviously the Webster School get a lot. It had got a lot of publicity, and, and it was something that kind of put put the the Scott boys on, on kind of on the radar. And so, so now we, like you said, go back to '93, and we have him on TV, and he's talking to Michelle McCormick, and, and you got you know not only people that know his history, but you have like you mentioned police officers that are like, wait, something isn't adding up here. So, yeah. are you familiar with when did did really the wheels get turning? Was it pretty quick when the police department started that, talking that night? Really, that, that night they started talking. Read, read Pitlick's book, Damn to Eternity. Unfortunately, I, don't, I think it's out of print now, but uh, I have a copy of it somewhere. It, it, that very night, that very night, um, the, 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 you know, the, it, it describe, Pitlick interviews um, the, then the sheriff back at that time and then some of the police officers and John McCoy, who the sheriff's, they started calling each other right away. Right. And you <laughs> believe this? So, so let me tell you another story. Uh, um, uh, you know, Cheryl Hart, right? Uh, oh, yeah. Second string music. Um, she actually attended church with the Scott family in Quincy. Okay. She was actually living across uh, near um, Taylor, near the 18 wheeler at the time, I believe when the, all that happened. 
So when when the levee broke, that had a huge effect on on her. She remembers watching uh, WGM that night, and as soon as she saw James Scott, <laughs> she said, "Oh my God, what is he doing? He broke the levee." That's what. Wow. And she 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 called. I think she, from what I vaguely remember, she called her sister and she said, "Can you believe it? That's what was going on. People saw." on there and they went oh my what is he doing on the levy roddy that brings up a really interesting point is that you know one of the things in in general is you don't you know nobody's found you know is, is guilty until proven so you know so like but there was already a stigma right out of the gate and even it happened with cheryl is that you know it was like he oh this is the guy that did it before he even got a chance to like even think about that it was a possibility so he was guilty before he even had a chance to be <laughs> guilty <laughs> He was screwed from the second he opened his mouth yeah. on live television, and he'll uh, and he'll tell you that too. Yeah, he, he knows that he knows that uh, he he had and and this is just my opinion. He as soon as he got he was on television, he was done. He had no chance. You yeah. knew that they were going to start, and they and it took him a few months. This was in July. I don't think he got arrested for it until like October or something like that. So they built the case and they, they worked it and they, you know, they, they talked to people that he was bragging to and blah, blah, blah. And, and, uh, and he was, he was being investigated for other things at the time as well. So, you know, it, it's hard. To, what was the physical evidence? There was no, nobody saw him do it. Right. It Did was anybody, under what, 10 feet, 12 feet of water, 14 foot of water? That's yeah, where the evidence but, was. Right. right. That's right. But nobody actually saw him take a shovel and poke around and pull sandbags off the levee, right? Nobody saw that. Yeah. I do want to, let me, let me interject real quick. One of the things, there is a video, and I, I wish I would have saw it. It was in the flood of 93, the WGM did their big, big video. Remember the VHS tapes that were everywhere? Well, um, I watched that. We both watched it, Travis and I, leading up to the, the flood of 93 episode we just did. And there's a shot, because what happened, and I'm sure you guys are aware of this, we talked about it, but there was a shot because there was a guy that was from the Sny Island Levy District that was in a helicopter, and they were flying over the area, and they caught it on video and is actually able to see you know when the levee broke and when the barges came through and all that stuff there's a couple wide shots on there and i guess you know i got to thinking about this 1993 technology probably wouldn't be able to do it but i wonder if in today's world you could make that clear enough that if you could see somebody going across the levee. well we, we talked about that chris but the fact is you would have seen him regardless because he never disputed the fact that he was there true that's good and in his in his story he was he was between the where the break happened, which was what about a quarter mile north of the Bayview Bridge, between a quarter and half a mile, maybe even less than that. And he was mm -hmm. nearly back from his accounts. He was nearly back to the bridge when you heard it break, because when the levee did break, you heard the sound of crashing trees, the sound of rushing right. water. They saw the helicopters doing you know laps in the sky above the region, and it was obvious at that point. But again, if you're walking a half a mile, even a quarter of a mile away from something that you're trying to commit and trying to force to happen, wouldn't you make sure that it was happening before you walked away? That's a little bit of a distance to be walking in a half a mile to hope that you broke the levee. Or did he run? I don't know. You know, but then he, if he did, then we should be able to see it on video. Yeah, the, thing, <laughs> the other thing, yeah, the other thing is when he appeared on television, like at, the, on the, at like five o'clock or five thirty or whatever, he wasn't really 
disheveled. He wasn't sweating. He wasn't right. nasty yeah. either. That was a big so, red flag for uh, Detective Baker, I believe, was the yeah. fact that he looked so... Because it was miserably hot from all accounts. Yeah. And Horribly. he was sweating, but people that were working on the levee were were supposed to always have life jackets and other right. things. And, and they just... The nature of the work was very dirty work. Okay. And, so yeah. let, let's bring up a couple other things here. Yes. First of all, let's fast forward to 2008. Okay. okay. Uh, my... My friend, the late great Chip Curtis. You remember Chip? At I all? remember Chip well. Yeah. He called me one day and he said, "Hey, Nap, Nap, uh, Harold Napide has his guys on the levee every day. You need to go go work on the levee with them for a couple of days." Right. And I worked on the levee for two days, hmm. helping. This is in 2008 during during the most critical time when it was, I think, at that that time the river had crested and it, it was appear it, we, the levee was appearing to hold but it was still it was still touch and go so i went over to west quincy and hung out with the, with this crew from napite i think for two days oh my i i was sore for a month I, it was the dirtiest <laughs> it was the dirtiest nastiest most excruciating job ever it was really horrific and then I also went on with uh, Norman Hare's son, uh, Shannon, uh, took me on a night patrol of the, mm. whoa, a night patrol of the levee where you were, you, we had to walk along the levee and we had to feel with our boots where the boils were and where the leaks oh, were. Oh, wow. Because we oh, couldn't wow. see it. So you know you had that uh, you had that thing about like uh, ghosts on the on the levee. <laughs> levee Walker, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, right? yeah. Okay, I was on the Mississippi River during the flood of two thousand three at two o'clock in the morning. I didn't see no ghosts. <laughs> all, all, all I, all I hey, felt he's probably was, getting a good night's sleep. That sandbagging is exhausting. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yes. So that brings up my next point. In two thousand and eight, uh, much like nineteen ninety three, the community banded together to do what they could. You know, people were filling sandbags. Remember the Oakley Winsey Center? Yeah, was um, there, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. and then you remember uh, Obama when he came by? Yeah. Uh, in 93, the, the focal point was at Quincy University's, uh, by, by the baseball field there. Yep, yeah. Uh, but, and so that's where they, they staged everything. And everybody had a vested interest, and ev uh, almost everybody did something to help keep the levy from breaking everybody in Quincy. I mean, everybody. Okay. So whether it was just going down to fill up some sandbags, whether it was just going down, hanging out and bringing water or food to the volunteers, everybody. And, and it was nothing. It, it was the story for months. Correct. Absolutely. Right. I mean, we, we were, I think 11 Chris at the time, right. but we were not blind to the fact that we knew that this was a major event. In 93, not 2008. <laughs> we, were, we were 11. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We're not quite that spring chickens. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. So, so not, yeah, not, but in 93, it was the same thing. So, how do you think the people of Quincy, Illinois and West Quincy felt when that thing broke? How do you think they felt? All this work, all this effort, all this praying, all this, oh, man. Uh, you know, the levees, it's got to hold, it's got to hold, you know, it's going to hold, it's, it's going to hold. And then when it broke, 
How do you think they felt? Yeah, just heartbreak. Right. Yeah, Heartbro- heartbroken is not is the is the correct word. Devastated. Yeah, I would say. Yeah, because because this is this isn't just this isn't just a and this is what people f- who aren't from around here don't understand, right? When they take a look at this case and they're and they try to and they wonder why this guy got what he got. Ooh, uh, do do you guys know Jack Freiberg at all? I, I know where you're yeah. going with this, and yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yes, J- Jack is a good guy, and um, uh, I know him pretty well. We hang out at some of the, the John Wood Mansion tours and the and the cemetery tours, and uh, he's big in the history. And in 1993, there was Had a strong a, a, opinion of memory serves. Yes, uh, <laughs> in 1993, there was a journalist from St. Louis and Quincy writing and doing stories about about the flood, and I, I believe Jack told him, and I'm going to paraphrase. Uh, Jack basically said, yeah, uh, you know, I'm, he better not come. He better. He's talking about James Scott. He says, he better not come back to Quincy because if he does, he'll get hung from the bridge. Hmm. It was something to that effect. Correct? I believe left for the birds might have the birds. Have a crack. Was that a, was that a different one? Hung from the bridge, but it, left it, for the birds might be more. Accurate. Yeah. Either way, I think it's pretty. It's a pretty common sentiment at the time of those who were so invested. And I'm I'm curious because I think you bring up a good point, Rodney. The reality of the flood in Quincy versus those, you know, and let's be honest, Chris and I were 11, and in all full disclosure, there's going to be people that that point the finger at you, Rodney, and say, I mean, what, when did you actually come to Quincy? It wasn't until 96, 96, wasn't it? Yeah. So I yeah. mean, there's going to be people that are going to you know rail us potentially because oh he he wasn't there. Yeah, but that's true. In a way, or he was, or he was too young. In, exactly, <laughs> like like Chris and I perhaps. But in a way, does that almost? I realize that this is a sensitive subject for a lot of Quintians, but having that ability to look at things without the burden of emotion is right. something that I think this whole case. If you take a step away, I I listen to a lot of other episodes of different podcasts and other programs that were recorded who have no context of Quincy. They were looking at this retrospectively, and everyone thinks that this area is insane. There's right. a man still in prison because right. they don't have that emotional context. Exactly. And I'm not going to say if that's a good thing or a bad thing to have that because I don't know. But it really raises a question, and Chris, you already brought this up. In our legal system, people are presumed innocent until proven guilty. I don't think that happened. Oh, you mean he, he was he was he was messed up. He was done from the start. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. It, it, and yep. I'm not saying this guy was an angel. I, I think he would most likely... Or innocent, for that matter. I, I think he would have... Yeah, exactly. Who knows? But but the fact that if you... I don't know how in the details you want to get here on some of the, the trials, Rodney, but like to your point, there wasn't... All the evidence was circumstantial on both sides. There just right. wasn't any physical thing. That's why Quincy played such a major role in the investigation. It's because what are what's Missouri going to do? Their whole crime scene is under, you know, however much water was over there. Wow. Yes, right. Uh, well, interestingly enough, we just had a major murder trial in Quincy that was all circumstantial evidence as That's well. That's true. Mm-hmm. That's okay? true. So, I, I do not believe that James Scott should still be in prison for doing this. I think that's a travesty. I think James Scott ended up in prison. He would have ended up there anyway. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. Yeah. Yeah. He would have been in trouble. And and the the fact of the matter is, too, he was, you know, with the arsons and the burglaries, he was 
you know, he, he was he was going down a road where it, it could have ended very poorly for somebody, yeah. right? Someone could have been in a house. He could have done something. It, it, it could have happened. You see it. You know, you could you could. It's hard to tell what might have happened, but I think he got locked up, and I think he was where he was supposed to go. But I also think that it is absolutely ludicrous that he is still in prison all this all these years later. And on that too, it's that you have somebody, as in you brought his name up already, Norman Hare, that in that vice. Uh, network episode he kind of actually said that as well is he's like i'm not sure he needs to be in there anymore right so you have that person who is such critically involved in what was happening in west quincy that's now kind of saying the same thing you are right and i i that law causing a natural disaster that law was enacted when someone crashed their boat into a levee down down by st louis or something i don't remember the details and intentionally caused it and then I think actually caused death and all kinds of yeah. It was a huge flood, like yeah, right, right. So I can understand why the law was enacted, but that's that's crazy. Had he been convicted of the same crime on the Illinois side, it would have been like damage to property or something. Yeah, gotten like seven years and served like two, and he would have been out. Depends on where it was, though. If you say that about the Meyer levy or a levy that maybe isn't a, a, a very large levy, maybe not. But if he went down to the Sny and did that, and you had forty thousand acres that were was destroyed, I, I don't know. I don't know if you can make that argument. I don't know, but yeah, I'm not sure. But I'm I don't know under the law what would yeah. they be able. To- oh, oh, sure. That's even that's a great point. I didn't think yeah. about that. Uh, what would he be charged with? Intentional, um, you know. Uh, Damage the property, mm-hmm. whatever whatever they would come up with on the Illinois side. But he would have he would have had, had like a seven year sentence, and he would have been done in two, and then he would have been out. So instead, there's this strange law in Missouri called the uh, you know creating a natural disaster, and wow, you know it happened to be there, and wham, he got he got hit with it. And how does the, obviously the judge was out of Marion County both times, which is where Hannibal and West Quincy's at. Oh, I don't know. Right? The, the first he... trial was in Kirksville. Yeah. Oh, okay. So okay. that was actually, I But the second one was in Hannibal? Correct. Yeah. Okay. So do we know, I, I mean, I didn't do my research on this. I don't know who the judge was, if judge he was a local Quake. or not. The, the, the oh. legendary Judge Quake. So again, right there, it gives you an example of like that you had personal influence and, and you had somebody that was closely connected or not, I don't know to what extent but he knew what was happening he knew that the relationship was there so you know we go to the thought of, of of yeah he was convicted of this but then you have where we're at right now and that it's been 30 years and he's still in prison because he got a life sentence out of this right um you know so so it's like you had somebody that that really put it to him that had too much emotional stake possibly to it it should have been somebody that wasn't around this area either you could you could argue that uh, Keep in mind, this was also the second trial was co- was broadcast on court TV live. Yeah. So yeah, the familiar. question, I mean, in my mind, I'm not making accusations, but I think if you know that you have a nationwide audience, I think theatrics may be more vulnerable <laughs> to making their way into it. With, with Judge Clayton, really? <laughs> he had some pretty strong words, as memory serves, when he when he, uh, he did. Out the you sentence. know, yeah. I I did not get to uh, be around him a lot during my almost 12 years covering crime and courts at the Herald Wig. I had a few hearings and cases with him. Um, 
but he was he was um he was a good i thought he was a good judge i and but he was not afraid to express his opinion right that might be right. a good way to put it yeah um, but, but at the time he he his voice was the voice of the area right i mean you're, everyone you're was rallying around those strong words that he had yes and so in i want to point out something else too in the vice network special that they did uh adam pitluck um you know they showed they actually showed uh clayton saying you know saying some things to james scott and and pitluck is saying well you know here is this judge saying these things to stoke up the jury and to stoke up this and that no 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 this was during sentencing this right. was after he found guilty the jury was long gone this was just the judge this is all the, him yeah this is all him in front of the court tv cameras right. uh, this thing just <laughs> just wanted to make sure we were clear on that point yeah it's a lot to take in i mean and there and it's a it's ironic because even leading up to us doing the podcast on flood of 93 and in getting to this episode as well there's still very strong and i won't name names or mention people but there's very strong opinions 30 years after the fact yeah. still about this um it's still a very passionate issue in the quincy area by far it, it is and if you live in quincy and you knew the scott boys you thought he did it and you didn't have much of an opinion about him. Yeah. And (laughs) that, that, that was hugely evident. And that's what people from outside of Quincy just don't quite get the, the raw emotion and the anger that burned in this community after that levy broke. And you know, the people who are not from Quincy or, or the soil experts, you know, that say, oh, well, the levy was breaking anyway, and blah, blah, blah. They take that human element out of it, and they don't think of it, and they think that we shouldn't have that. We're human beings, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and it was a devastating, devastating event. Devastating. You you made some interesting points. You know, we're not going to spend a lot of time getting into the details of the prosecution and the defense in both trials. But obviously, you know, we're, we're talking about circumstantial evidence. Uh, however, there were strong voices on each side when it came to the soil and when it came to the health of that of that levy as it was. Right. Um, there was a very powerful voice who who resounds even in that Vice uh, documentary, David Hammer, mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. is, I believe, his direct quote was, "It wasn't a matter of time. It was a matter of time if that levy. It would. It wasn't a matter of time if that levy would fail, but when." Right. And you look at what had unfolded in the other levees in the area, Chris. I mean, the dominoes were falling day to day. Yeah. Boy, at the end of the day, I think you said it best, Rodney. It's God and James Scott know what happened there. Yeah, right. And no, no amount of arguing or reexamining, you know, the evidence is ever going to give you an answer. But at the end of the day, how long has it been? How long has has James been in prison? What going on thirty years now? Uh, well, yeah, he he was. He was arrested in October. I don't do math good. That's why I ask. <laughs> yeah, he was arrested. So he's been incarcerated for almost 30 years. Yeah. Right. We talked a lot about kind of the what, what's pretty widely known. But I'm curious about your experience sitting there across from him. When you, you know, we can find the article that, that, you, that you wrote and with the questions and his answers. But what you can't get from that article is the sense of looking in his eyes did it feel like everything he was saying was rehearsed or did it feel conversational or do you, did he have enough time to just craft his message or it was like a political state statement? At that no, point? no, no. It was, it was very conversational. Okay. 
Uh, James Scott believes that he is innocent. He's convinced that he is innocent. Yeah. He does, does not think that he broke the lip. Arguably, if he said he was guilty, if he could, if he showed remorse, I think a lot of people could make a case that he'd be out already, right? Yes, he would. He would be. He could get parole. That the whole idea is, is, is it, you could, you can get parole after a certain number of years if you express remorse for what you did. He's not going to do that. He he says he won't do that because he didn't do it. He is convinced that he did not break the levy. Now, that's James Scott. Mm-hmm. Take the whole thing into consideration, but he was he was um, he was not this wild-eyed, psychopathic babbler. No, he was very well spoken. He was very polite. He was very patient uh, <laughs> with with me and Steve Bonstad, who uh, you know Steve Steve um, did an excellent job with that and did some did some. Um, did some video and some other stuff with him where he had to go over the story again. And he was very patient the whole time. And, and he, he was not this, this dirt ball. Yeah. Right. He, he, but this was, then again, this was 15 years later. Okay. And, um, and then if you see, I don't know, you saw the vice thing, correct? Yeah. Yeah. What did you think of him and his demeanor now, you know, in, in the recent interviews? Uh, I, I think if you're outside of Quincy and don't have that emotional attachment, you think that Missouri and Illinois are crazy for having yeah. this guy in jail. I think that's what most people are going to think. Right. And the question is, is it possible? Is it even possible for, for those who lived it here to be able to separate themselves from the raw emotion? Nope. I think you're nope. right. I, I nope. think we're never going to find a level playing field for the outside perception versus those who lived it. That's right. You, you, never. It, it just won't happen, you know, and, and it and he'll have to pass away before and, and we'll have to be gone and several generations will have to. But even then, I don't think it, it's going to completely go away. Well, there's a lot to, to to dig into here and there's a lot to think about. And as I mentioned, it's still a very passionate subject. And I'm sure we'll hear things and let us know what your guys' thoughts are as you listen to this. You think he uh, should be let out? You think he uh, should be kept in there? Let us know what your thoughts are. But uh, hey, as always, uh, Rodney, it's always a pleasure to have you on here. And we appreciate you greatly coming on and talking about yeah. this subject because we know that uh, you spent a lot of time dealing with it. So yeah, yeah. appreciate you coming on. Well, thank you so much. Chris and Travis, very, very uh, enjoyable. I always enjoy listening to the Wild Quincy. You guys do a great job. Well, thank you very much. Thanks, appreciate that. Really appreciate you being here. Well, that's a look of the story of the only man accused of causing a natural disaster, and that is James Scott. We'll have more after this on Wild Quincy. <laughs> Summer is coming. It really is. And are you ready for it? Well, why not start by getting a great tan this summer at Outdoor Creations in West Quincy? And it doesn't have to cost a whole lot either. How about 10 tans for $20 or unlimited tanning for 30 days for $40? And for your birthday, receive a free tan with no purchase necessary. To fit your busy schedule, Outdoor Creations has tanning available 24 hours a day by appointment. So get ready for summer at Outdoor Creations across from the barge in West Quincy. Well, Travis, uh, it's about that time. It's summertime. Yeah. Time to go to Outdoor Creations. But good luck getting there. The landmark's not there anymore. 
No. The barge right? is gone. The barge is gone. <laughs> yeah, not only the barge is gone, but also Mississippi Grill just got recently tore down as well. Yeah. So there's nothing in that neck of the woods anymore. So kind of funny that we, we talked West Quincy and we talked about all this other stuff. And now we're talking about uh, a business in West Quincy. So there you yeah, go. Yeah, a lot of, lot of uh, connections there you could draw. Speaking of connections, uh, a Golden Pipes in his own right, Brian Miles there with yeah. uh, with the audio for that. You haven't heard that to voice in quite a while, uh, and uh, yeah, good to see, good to see the, good to see that. So we appreciate uh, hearing that voice. And, and by the way, guys, if if you got any throwback ads and you want to send them, make sure to do it pretty quick here because the well's running dry. We may have to change it up and do something different if we don't get some more. So if you have some, send them to us at wildquincy at gmail.com or even hit us up on Facebook or post something on YouTube and then give us a link and we'll uh, see if we can take it and copy it and put it on here. But boy, it's getting hard. We're getting to the bottom of the barrel, Travis, trying to get commercials. Fingers crossed. We'll see something come to the surface here. So uh, yeah, let keep us in mind for that if you can figure out something uh, uh, even if, like I said, uh, if you have a VHS tape of uh, something you keep uh, kept and you may have some commercials, let me know. We'll hook up. I'll even make it a digital version for you. And then I'm going to steal the commercials off of it. So there you go. That's a good deal, <laughs> I think. Yeah. So there you go. All right. Well, um, we mentioned one set of golden pipes. It's time to bring in the other set of golden pipes. Oh, yeah. And now it's time for Words of Wisdom from Adams County. Thanks, uh, Bo. It's time for the wit, the wisdom, the know-how, the willpower, if you will, of our forefathers and foremothers of Adams County. And we're deep diving, by the way. And Travis, you can ex- get into this a little deeper, but uh, we're learning more about our good buddy, uh, Mr. Hyatt, right? Yeah, he. it's just, uh, it's interesting. He was a, a, I think he was a Catholic priest. Uh, and at any rate, he was had just a huge interest in all the crazy hoodoo stuff and, uh, just a weird connection there. So lots to discover, lots to discover there. Come to find out, and we'll talk about this most likely at some point in time, but come to find out, we have our great book that we go to folklore from Adams County, Illinois, and that's one of his books. But his other book, if you want to purchase it on uh, Amazon or eBay, you can do so. But it's about $50,000 <laughs> to buy his other book. It's a bit. Not a bargain. Not a bargain. Uh, so it's a little bit pricey. Yeah, it's it's an interesting book. Uh, we do know for a fact that we, we're pretty sure there's copies of this at Quincy University. So we're going to have to make a little trip to QU at some point in time to the library and take a look at this other book that he has. The whole archive, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, the whole archive of even the folklore is there as well. So we'll have to check that out. But of course, going back to the basics, you know, this whole episode was about crime and, and prison and law. And so luckily, uh, Harry made a section on law, Travis. Okay, what do you, what we got from that? We, we only have about seven or eight, okay. so I'm just going to pull some of these out, Let's okay? Uh, so they're all around 86.25 through 86.33, but let me give you a few here. Uh, 86.30 is a check for less than $1 is illegal. Huh. 86.27, the use of a dark lantern is illegal, as well as a check dated on Sunday is illegal. Hmm. Okay. A couple others here. A loaded truck has a legal right of way on the road. I wish that was still a law. Yeah, that's close to home for you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, This one, I'm hoping that I don't offend anybody by saying this, but this one says, it is illegal to possess a copy of the seventh book of Moses. Huh. I don't really know what the reference is. I looked it up, and I couldn't really tell what that meant. Hmm. 
But I, I will end with this one. Again, this is 86.25 in the law category. And uh, this one hits close to home, Travis, for both of us. And it is this. It is against the law to hit a person who wears glasses. Words of wisdom from Adams County. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the question, right? You wouldn't hit a man with glasses, would you? Um it is annoying. Have you ever had a? Have you? When's the last time you had your glasses break? Oh, I don't. Uh, it's been twenty some years ago now. Yeah, yeah. My daughter took out this exact pair, but it was it was cheaper just to get the new frames than the lenses, so I went that route. Yeah, I, I've I've actually switched over to contacts. Like I can throw contacts in if I need to, but I don't don't really care to. But yeah, at least now I can do that. Back twenty years ago, I I couldn't quite do that as easy. I was like, <laughs> I'm not touching my eyes. No, yeah, don't touch here, the eyes. Same here. Yeah. Uh, Real quick, before we get into the last piece of the segment of uh, what we're going to talk about, the question of the day, you know, we've been excited about this. We've had a few people contact us. We're looking for some of that off-season stuff, and Travis, we're, we're digging into those wild files. Yeah, we want to hear your stories. I mean, finish the sentence, the weirdest or wildest thing that I ever saw or that ever happened to me in Quincy. We want to know about it. We want to hear just what you guys have to say. It'll be a fun exercise and kind of seeing what's out there from our listeners. So get a hold of us. Just send us an email at wildquincy at gmail.com. I think me and you should do like our own little quick segment, and we'll just throw out one of our wild files as a teaser Ooh. at one of these episodes. That's a good idea. Well, I, yeah. I got a couple ideas on that yeah. one. Yeah, so we'll I'll, check it out. I'll come up with something. So, uh, yeah, but yeah, make sure to send us uh, your ways. There's a couple ways to do that. Uh, we'll even take, uh, this would be, I don't know if you're okay with this, Travis, but, you know, we have that voicemail for our phone number. If you wanted to call and leave us a voicemail message, maybe we could actually use their video audio. That I, I'm worried at how long the messages can actually record. Eh, call though. us back. Make it quick. <laughs> call us, but make it quick. <laughs> Edit yourself very, very harshly. No, do give us a call, though. If Even just to say hello, we'd love to hear from you. You can text yeah. us as well. 612-666-9453. 612-666-WILD. Ah, you did it for me. I appreciate I it. I know. I know how much you like that. I do, you ma- man. You mouth it even if I don't say it, and it usually distracts me. <laughs> yeah. He's like, what is he mouthing? Uh, is he say, is my volume okay? What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we appreciate that. Give us, give us, a, give us a call. Give us an email. Uh, so check us out on Facebook. Say hi to us. We love hearing from you guys. Love hearing your stories. And uh, so, uh, give us a ring and let us know what you guys think. Uh, before we wrap things up, we have one last piece, as we always do, and that is the question of the day. I saw the wheels turning right. a little bit. Yeah. You, you felt like you might, you might have the answer, but uh, should I, I recap felt, this? Real I felt quick? good earlier. We'll see if that's carried over. Okay. All right. So here's the question again for you guys. Uh, we know the street names in Quincy. There are usually numbers, presidents, or trees for the most part. But which uh, one of these roads does not exist in Quincy? Your options are Evergreen Terrace, Green Acres Drive, Ketters Lane, or Penny Lane. Travis, what's your thoughts? Um. Yeah. The it's. I believe it's the first or last. Some of those streets I remember. Okay. I. Was it was the first one Evergreen Lane? Uh, Evergreen Terrace, Green Evergreen Acres Terrace. Drive, Ketters Lane, or Penny Lane? Boy, it feels like it'd be insane not to have the first one. But I feel like I've never even thought that doesn't fit with anything. Penny Lane. I don't know. We're gonna do Penny Lane. Penny Lane's final answer. Yeah. Oh man, this is a tough season for you, Travis. <laughs> that is incorrect. Well, which was it? The first one. 
It was the first one. The uh, first I should have trusted my gut. Evergreen Terrace is not in Quincy. Uh, it's in some sort of Springfield. That is the street that The Simpsons <laughs> lives on. Uh, oh, nice call. Nice yeah. Call. yeah uh, okay. Green Acres Drive is another uh, one of the streets in there. Of course, Ketter's Lane on the north side of See, town. See, I think I remembered those two. That's what. Yeah. yeah. And Penny Lane is on the south side. Uh, okay. By the way, when researching this, did you know there's a section of town that has streets that are holiday related and Christmas related? You know, now that you say that, it kind of rings a bell, but I couldn't. I it's can't out say there that behind sure. KHQA. That area out there. Oh, is that right? Oh, There's yeah, like, that's yeah, yeah, Christmas Lane and stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's got that. like it's got like uh, like like mistletoe courts and uh, all the and of course, like I said, the there there's so all these different names. Like, well, that's kind of cool. That's you know, pretty neat. I can't. I'm trying like to think that. if any other subdivisions have a like a name to it. A pattern. I don't know. I, I think there might be. Thought about it. Let us know if, if we're missing out. I think there's another one on the south side, but yeah, let us know. No, I think no, we're I think missing. My mom's neighborhood one. was. Now that I think about it. Crazy. Yeah, yeah, uh, blew my own mind. That kind of hits close to home, but we're we're getting ready to move. If if things go through, our houses and the streets that we're on in our subdivision are all apple types of apples. So, oh, that's fun. Okay, yeah. So, so I, this cool. is just one weird little thing I've never thought about. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? It's no longer yeah. just numbers yeah. and presidents and trees. There's other stuff you got to do. So, have to think about. Yeah. Well, there you go. Well, uh, we're not talking about Christmas and Yuletide carols, uh, which, by the way, I think Carol Street's another one of them. But uh, we're talking about another road that's a little bit more ominous uh, than than those. And uh, what road would that be, Travis? Everybody knows the road, Ghost Hollow Road. So many legends, so many uh, stories. And we're going to go down the wormhole on what's, you know, who knows if it's real. It's it's really interesting. We'll call it that. But we're going to talk about Ghost Hollow Road. And actually, the part is literally called Ghost Hollow, which is separate than the road. Most people aren't completely sure how that works out we'll get into the details and just talk about some of the fun stories about ghost hollow uh feel free to uh, send us an email wildquincy at gmail.com if you have anything or touch base with us on socials love to add a little bit to the list Oh, well, you definitely would appreciate that. We'll be looking forward to that. Coming up in two weeks, we'll have our Patreon episode for you Patreon fans coming up next Tuesday. want to also throw out a big thanks again to Rodney Hart for coming on and helping us with this episode. He's, our, uh, he's a two-timer. He's a two-timer now. He's been here twice in one season. That's we, never happened. That's huge. Yeah, yeah, it's a first time. So uh, we appreciate Rodney uh, being on to help us for that. Well, for Travis Hoffman, I'm Chris Ketters. You've been listening to Wild Quincy. We'll catch you guys next time. Take care, everybody. Wild Quincy is released every other Tuesday and is produced by Chris Ketters and Travis Hoffman. Sound designed by Downdraft Sound and Editing and music by Travis Hoffman Music. I'm Bo Beecraft, and thanks for listening to Wild Quincy.